I thought it was really fascinating. Brother Keith last week, um, who got notice at the last minute and did a phenomenal job, um, talked about the God I know. And um, I wasn't able to watch it at 10 o'clock because we were having trouble with the, the live stream. So I was able, I watched it, I think, Monday morning. And, um, and I, the message that I was going to speak was the God I cannot comprehend. <laughs> so he got in first with the God I know. Um, but, uh, but what's amazing about that is the scriptures, I'm not contradicting anything he said by talking about the God we cannot know any more than he's contradicting me by talking about the God we do know. The scriptures, we could study them our whole lives and still learn something new from the scriptures. There are so many facets and angles, and the, the closer we draw to God, the more truth he shows us and the, the things that we learn and the things that we grow in. And, um, and I just thought it was interesting the way we had taken different directions on, on the exact same Sunday. Um, and so today, what I want to talk about is the God I cannot comprehend. The God I cannot comprehend. Um, it's an interesting topic of conversation, you know, who is God, what's he like, um, you know, all the things that we would like to know about God that we don't know, all the things that we try to learn and try to find out. But the question becomes, who is God and what is he like? Um, in so many ways, I'm just going to touch on some things because this is a huge topic. Um, we could write multi-volume books on this topic of who is God. Um, so really, in a lot of ways, this is God 101, or intro to God if we were in college, um, because there's just no way to adequately cover this topic in the 45 minutes that I've got this morning. Um, the overwhelming conclusion, though, by any human being that is seeking to know more about God is that the more you study, the more you realize how little you know. It's interesting. It's a fascinating thing, but the more I dig and the more I search in the word of God, the more I become humbled because the more I realize I do not know. When I was young, my pastor growing up, uh, Brother Anthony said, he said, there needs to be a room in our head reserved for things I do not understand. And at the time I was, that frustrated me because I want to understand all this. I want to know. But he's absolutely right, and I think it only comes with some maturity that we realize it's okay to not know everything. I'm okay with not knowing and understanding everything. And we realize that the more and more we dig into the Word of God, we realize how broad and, and how vast the Word of God is, and also how broad and how vast our God is. So I'm going to make a statement that God is incomprehensible. And I mean that in a good way. It's not to say that we cannot know some things about him because we can, but it is to say that we cannot completely know him because our brains cannot contain that much information. It's not to insult the, anybody in this room. that I'm not saying anyone in this room is not intelligent. I'm just saying that there is so much of him that our brain cannot contain all of the information. With that in mind, what I want to do this morning is to give you some very basic truths about God that we can understand, while at the same time pointing out to you that God is and always will be outside of our full comprehension. And I know this is the adult class. We're the mature Christians in the, in the building today. Um, and, I, and again, I'm calling this God 101. And here's the reason I'm doing that. 
some of what I have to say this morning is so basic, but you may just have forgotten it. It's so basic, it's so simple, that we've just skipped ahead. We've just jumped on to the more complicated topics. And some of what I've got to say is so obvious that you take it for granted. Sometimes we miss the obvious things because we're just so used to them. But a proper understanding of who God is and what his attributes are is vital for every Christian. God is beyond our comprehension, it is true. Yet we can know some things and learn to follow as a result of that. Now here's the kicker, and I'm really going to get back to this at the end. Conversely, a wrong understanding of God results in a wrong understanding of life and how to live it. This is where it can get get to be a problem. And I'm going to spend about the last five or ten minutes coming back to that conclusion because it's very, very important. People get frustrated in life because they do not understand where they fit within God's universe, where they fit within God's world that he has created, and they don't understand what God desires from them or what God desires for them because they don't understand who he is. Like I said, I'm going to return to that point at the end because I think it's the major thing that we're going to be able to get from this message today. I want to start with this. The Bible says that the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Psalms 14 and 1. There are many fools in this world according to that definition. I do believe, however, that we can and must, that we must gain an understanding of what God has revealed about himself himself, and that we must make sure that that is what we are believing instead of falling into the trap, and I'm going to call it a trap because it is, instead of falling into the trap of attributing to God our own human characteristics. I think we can do that at times. It's natural for us to to put things on God that aren't God because they're normal for us and they're human emotions that we feel human characteristics. But whatever qualities that humans share in common with God, it is because God made man in his image. He made us to reflect certain attributes. But sin, sin divided us, and sin has so badly tarnished man's reflection of those attributes. What I'm trying to say, perhaps badly at this point, is that God is not like us. God is not like us, and that's the first key thing to know this morning. So let's begin the difficult task, because it is a difficult task. We could spend weeks and weeks and weeks on defining God, but let's begin. How a person defines God lays the foundation for how they will think about him and react to him for the rest of their whole lives. If you believe in God, that was your first revelation, and that's a good one. It's a great place to start. If you believe in God. So a good working definition, this is not from me, I found this. Who has re- the, the God that we know, the God that has revealed himself in the Bible, a good definition is God is a spirit who is infinite and eternal in his being, perfect and unchangeable in his attributes, and in whom all things have their source, support, and end. That's a definition of God, the God of the Bible that is revealed to us. And as you can see from that definition, if you thought about that definition as I was reading it, think about whether it applied to you or not. 
But as you can see from that definition, God is something completely different than man. First of all, God is a spirit who is infinite and eternal. This means that God exists outside of and encompasses the entire time-space continuum for all you science fiction fans out there. Man's trapped in time. God is not. God can exist in, he could, if right this very minute, God could be July 4th, 1776, Philadelphia at the Congress, the, the, the Continental Congress and watch the signing of the Declaration of Independence. I, I can't do that, but God could. God could right this very moment go back to my fourth birthday party. If he, he, he is not constrained. He could also go forward to my funeral because he's not constrained by time. And he could do all of those things at the exact same time. I, that's hard for me to fathom. I don't know about you, but that is hard. Time does not constrain him. Man is a finite physical being, but we do have a spiritual nature. Yet we were born and we will die at a particular time and location. We are time constrained. He is not. God is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And he is immutable. Man is the opposite. We're not. We are flawed, we are sinful, and we change our minds from minute to minute. Not calling my wife's name at this point. God is the creator in whom all things have their source, support, and end. And let me emphasize this point. All that exists, including every planet, Every star, every constellation, every nebula, everything that you and I can see was created by God. All of it was created by God. We can be creative. We can take a piece of paper and get some markers or some you know, paint and colors, and we can make something beautiful. But we can only use the materials that God made for us to be creative. There are many more examples. I could give tons of examples. But part of the problem with understanding God is we have a tendency to project our own human emotions, feelings, and actions onto God. It's called anthropomorphizing. It's where we, um, we take anthro, human, we take human characteristics and we project them onto God. The idea that this creator God cannot communicate clearly to those that he created is a crazy one to me. But you know what? It's easy for us to think that because we have trouble communicating sometimes with each other. Tell a story, and everybody in the room can draw a different conclusion from that story. Even the greatest of communicators can have trouble getting their point across. But the one that created man and man's ability to communicate can always use those abilities he created to communicate to us. Then that idea, there's another idea out there that there is no God or that God cannot communicate to his creatures. All that is a projection of a human attribute onto God. Man rejects God as the creator because man wants to limit God to what we can understand. How can, how can something come from nothing? See, that's a human concept. It's not a God concept. So we come up with our mind, well, there is no God. This universe is, you know, there's a big bang. Things happen like this and that. We try to find a scientific explanation for something that is not explainable. Yeah. 
And so as a, as a result, what we do is we limit God to something that we can understand. Here's another thing, and this happens a lot. Man will say that what God is communicating is confusing. Well, that's because we don't want to follow it. <laughs> what happens is God created man, and we like to return the favor. Not a good thing. When man projects upon God these human attributes, we end up with a false understanding of who God is. A false understanding of the true God, and it will ultimately lead to our disaster. So that we are perfectly clear, I want to point out a few scripture passages that directly state that God is not like us. Numbers 23 and 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he, said it, has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will not make it good? 1 Samuel 15 and 29. Also the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Unlike man, God is always, always, always truthful, consistent, unchanging, and faithful to his promises. God is those things, man is not. Jesus put it very plainly in Luke 21 and 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Paul declared in Romans 11 and 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It's irrevocable. It is a gift that is given and will never be taken back. This is a great blessing for us. This is a great blessing for us. Malachi 3 and 6 points out that was the reason why Jacob was not consumed because there were promises that had been made to Abraham. God was keeping those promises. The Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob promises were being kept. It is because it is impossible for God to lie that we can also have absolute hope in the promise of salvation. You don't have to worry about that promise. It's never going to be revoked because it would not be in God's nature to ever revoke it. It will always stand. See, men can tell the truth as they sometimes reflect God. We can tell the truth, but we also all fail to always tell the truth, and that demonstrates our humanity. We're different than God. In addition... When a man makes a promise, I can make a promise to my children that I fully intend to keep. And then my boss calls me in at 4.15 and says, hold on, we got a big problem. This, problem, this is blown up. I need you to deal with this. But boss, I, I told my kids I was going to take them to CeCe's Pizza at 4.30. I wanted to keep my promise to my children. I had the ability. I had funds in my pocket. I had everything necessary for keeping the promise, but something came up that I could not control. That doesn't happen to God. That never happens to God. I can tell you I'm going to meet you at 3.30. We're going to Taco Bell and then a traffic accident on the expressway and I'm stuck in traffic for 45 minutes. And I can't get there at 3.30. Not my fault. I wanted to meet you. I love tacos. I do. I, I, you can tell I'm hungry this morning. I'm Sorry. This is, better not preach this one at 11.15. People get hungry right before noon. But God can. God can keep his promise. I cannot. God is not like man. He always keeps his promises. 
God is also not like a man because he exists for a different reason and a different purpose than we do. God says in Isaiah 55, uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but uh, uh, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's different than we are. He's different. His thoughts and his ways, they're not like us. Another good one, and I'm thankful for this one. God has mercy and grace far beyond anything that man could even think of, much less do. And God's plan to accomplish it in the way that he planned to accomplish it and that takes care of man's struggles We can't even comprehend the way he planned to take care of it and the way he carried it out. It's beyond our comprehension. God is neither a man nor is he like a man. Be very, very careful of projecting human attributes upon God. For what, whenever we do that, whenever, because it's a natural tendency, but whenever we do that, we fall into the blasphemy of making false statements or holding false beliefs about God. And I'm going to be real, real, real honest with you. I have fallen into this. I often say, I say it a lot. I probably will still say it. I need to stop. But I often say, God's got a great sense of humor. But I don't know that. I don't. I assume that because that's how I relate with people. Humor is my language. That's how I talk to people, and, and, and that's how I connect with people is humor. And so because it's important to me, I assume that God has it. But I don't know that. Looking around at some of the things he's created, some of you, it's hard to imagine he doesn't have a sense of humor. But to make the assumption that he does, to, and really what it is, I'm presuming that he does, it, it's, it's, it's in error. Because I don't know that. So I can't do that anymore. I need to stop doing that. It's wrong. It's so natural to me, but it's wrong to assume that. So let's take a look at the true attributes of God that we can derive from the scriptures. The attributes or characteristics of God, we can divide them into two categories. Some are some that only God can ever have, will never have. And some are attributes of God that he wants us to also show. And he's shown us a way to do that. And, and he's empowered us to. And these are the, some of these are characteristics of God that can be reflected in man, even if it's imperfect. In the first category, though, the ones that only God can have are things like him, him being eternal. Things like, things like him being omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and immutable. We can define these, but we cannot ever fully understand them Because that idea of infinity is beyond us. That sideways eight, uh, infinity, we can't comprehend infinity. We really can't. Some examples. He is self-existent. The name that God gave for himself to Moses when he gave the the tetragrammatron, the the, the Yahweh, what we we translate as Yahweh, that's that's the form of the Hebrew word. It means, or it comes from to be. He is, to be, he is, and he, that's where we get I am, I am that I am, I, 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 I am what I was, I will be what I am, I always am what I have been, 
He always is. He is. He is the self-existent one. No one created God. Jesus said in John 5 and 26 that the Father has life in himself. He didn't need anyone else to give him life. Not only that, all of creation is absolutely dependent upon him. And he has no need for anything in creation, but all of us are dependent upon him. He's also eternal. God is infinite with reference to time. God has no beginning. Genesis 1 and John 1 and 1 states that he was already present at the beginning. God has no end. He declares of himself in Isaiah 57 and 15 that he lives forever. The angel Gabriel declared in Luke 1 and 33, I love this, that of his kingdom there shall be no end. Moses described God in Psalms 90 and 2 as being from everlasting to everlasting. You define that. You define it. If you can, I don't think you can, but if you can, you define that. The apostle John recorded in Revelation 1 and 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega who was and is and is to come, the Almighty. We really do not comprehend this concept. We cannot imagine something having no end. And we sure can't imagine something having no beginning. That's even harder, probably. God's eternity is always going to be a comfort to the believer because we know that there's a reward. There's a place called heaven that we will go to one day because he is eternal. We will live eternally with him. But it also can be a warning to us because heaven and just as heaven is real, hell is a real place for eternity. God is omnipresent. That means he is infinite with respect to space. And I mean not space out there, and I'm talking about space. Boom, there's more space. Here's space. There's space. God is everywhere. His divine presence is everywhere present at the exact same time. He's in Japan. He's in England. He's in Russia. He's in China. He's in Africa. He's in Antarctica right this very minute. The Lord declares in Jeremiah 23 and 24, He fills the heavens and the earth. Psalms 139, 7 through 12 describes, Where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there too. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to thee. Even the darkness is not dark to thee. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. They're the same thing to you. God's omnipresence is a comfort to us because he will never leave or forsake you because he can't. He's everywhere, so he's always beside you. But it is also a warning because there's no place to hide from God. Our lives are, are exposed to him. God is also omniscient. That means he is infinite with respect to knowledge. He knows everything. He is without limit in knowing the breadth and depth of everything, past, present, and future. He knows everything. IBM could not build a computer that would hold everything, but he does. To put it another way, God knows everything about everything throughout all time at the same time. That, I can't fathom it. 
this is mind-blowing. Of all of God's qualities, this one blows my mind maybe the most. Psalms 147 and 5 states, His understanding is infinite. Well, we can't understand the word infinite, so we're having trouble with this concept. Paul marvels at it in Romans 11 and 33, declaring, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. Paul actually responds with humility in that scripture. We're going to talk about that in a minute. That's a wonderful response when we look at these qualities of God. God's omniscience is a comfort to believers because he knows us perfectly yet still loves me. He knows every thought that's ever gone through my head, the dirtiest ones, the worst ones, the meanest ones, the cruelest ones. He knows the thoughts that went through my head and he still loves me. However, it is also a warning because it means that the Lord searches the minds and the hearts and he does know all that we think and do. When sin enters in, he knows when sin has entered in. He is omnipotent. God is infinite with respect to power. The best way to put this is God is all-powerful. He is not confined by the laws of thermodynamics, the laws of physics. He's not defined by the law of gravity. None of that matters to God. They're imposed on us. We must obey them, but he does not have to obey, obey them. And it is out of God's omnipotence that he both created and sustains everything by the word of his mouth. He created everything that exists out of nothing. It did not exist, and he spoke it, and it did. He also continually sustains it without losing one kilowatt of power. This is amazing to me. He doesn't get any weaker because he's spinning the earth around the sun. His power is not drawn down. He doesn't have to go to a charging station somewhere and and plug back in. All that is going on in the universe is going on because he says it is, and he is not losing a single just iota of power. In Matthew 19 and 26, Jesus told his disciples that with God, all things are possible. He can do anything that is in harmony with his other attributes. God's never going to to dishonor one of his other attributes. He can act in harmony with all of them at the same time. His omnipotence is a comfort to us because it means that there is nothing that is too difficult for our God to do on our behalf. We can trust that he will fulfill his promises. He can provide for our needs as we seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and even those things which would seem impossible, like a healing. That's impossible to me, but it is not impossible to our God. His omnipotence is also a warning, though, to the unbeliever because it means nothing can thwart God from carrying out his judgments. Nothing will thwart God. God is also sovereign. The consequences of God being infinite with respect to time, space, knowledge, power means that God is sovereign. He rules and he reigns and no one else but him can rule and reign. He is the supreme authority. There is nothing greater than God. There is nothing that can thwart his will for nothing can outlast him. Nothing can avoid him. Nothing can outsmart him. Nothing can overpower him. 
Paul describes God in 1 Timothy 6, 15 through 16 as he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Amen. Nebuchadnezzar, the king from Babylon, learned the hard way, and he concluded in Daniel 4, 34 through 35, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of the heavens. He is all powerful. He is all powerful. Psalms 115 and 3 puts it in a very simple way. But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. His purpose will be established and he will accomplish all of his plans. That's a comfort for us as believers, isn't it? God's able to keep all of his promises. He will keep all of his promises. But it's also a warning to an unbeliever. Because it means that there is no escape from God's, God's promises of judgment. And as you can see with all of these qualities so far that we've talked about, all of them really, there is a surety in each, ab, in, in each attribute. And what I mean by surety is it's going to happen. Yeah. It's a sure thing. Each attribute has a blessing and a warning. Both of them are ironclad guarantees. Even for the things we might see as negative. But my argument to you today is for believers, even the ones that we might think of as negative, should always still be a comfort. As believers, we don't have to fear those things. There's one last quality of God that is not like us at all. I love this one. I'm thankful for this one. He is immutable. That means God is unchanging in his essence and attributes. He states this clearly in Malachi 3 and 6. I am the Lord and I don't change. Hebrews 13 and 8 expresses it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. James 1 and 7, there is no shadow of turning in him. To say that God is immutable does not mean that his response to us will not change. If I'm hard-headed and God's teaching me a lesson, he's going to treat me one way. But when my heart turns and I start to come back to him, then God's going to change and treat me differently. But that's not because he doesn't change. It's because I changed. That's what happened in Genesis 6 and 6 when God actually became sorry that he made man. Or in Exodus 32 and 14 when God changed his mind about the harm that he would do to the people in response to Moses' prayer. God's immutability coupled with his sovereignty means that he always keeps his promises. All of those attributes that I've listed so far are unique to God alone. Anytime you think you understand God, or anytime you think you're, you've got it all figured out, stop and think about those attributes. Oh, when you do, your humility will return quickly. My humility returns quickly as I stand in awe of him. God's thoughts and, way, and ways are so far beyond our own. Our understanding of him will always be limited. I said this earlier, but within those limitations, and this is, this is really cool, Within those limitations of our brain, basically, that's the limitation, there is so much that we can learn and know. And so I want to next look at those attributes of God that he wants to be reflected in us. And this is not going to be an exhaustive list. There's so many more. But nevertheless, these are the ones that we can glimpse 
and hope to emulate. First, he calls man to be holy. The word itself means to be separate. We've been talking about holy the last couple of Wednesday nights and for the Wednesday nights to come. But the word itself means to be separate. In regards to God, it means he is absolutely separated from evil and that he is distinct as the infinite creator from us. He is holy. He is set apart. Holiness is a characteristic of all of God's attributes and actions. Everything he is and does is holy. In regards to man, God calls on us to be holy as he is holy, meaning we are to be separated from the world and separated to him. Next is righteous. God is absolutely fair and he is absolutely just. His righteousness is revealed both through the moral law that he has set up for us and through Jesus Christ. God calls on man to become righteous by showing our faith in Jesus Christ and then to live in righteousness by obedience to God's will, to God's promises, God's word. Next is truth. Truth is that, and I I preached on this one other time, truth is that which conforms to actual reality. God is both true and is truth, for he is the final and ultimate reality. He is absolutely consistent with all that he is in himself. There's not any, any, there's not any disharmony in God. He, everything about him exists in harmony with everything else. We are never like that. We can't be like that, but he is. He's absolutely consistent, and it's because of his truth. And he calls on men to know the truth, and it will set us free. We are to live according to that truth. We can know his truth. It will set us free. Love. God is love. And that's not, I'm not really talking about husband, wife, fond feelings of affection. But rather I'm talking about seeking the greatest good at at the cost of sacrifice for someone else. God did it for us. He proved his love on Calvary with the love of Jesus Christ, with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. All of us are commanded to love God and to love our neighbors. And God calls Christians to love one another as Christ has loved us. As we experience his love, we're called to love. Long-suffering, this one's tough, encompasses patience and forbearing. Anybody good at patience? Anybody good at forbearance? I am not. My hand was not up to demonstrate my my, uh, success in it. It was just to, to give an example, but I'm not good at that. In God, this is seen in his delay of judgment while giving a sinner the time to repent and the time to come back to God. And for us, it's a characteristic of love that we are to extend to all men. We're to show long-suffering to other people. I I haven't always done that. I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't always done that. But we are to show long-suffering even when we are personally wronged. We're to be long-suffering. Merciful. This is more than just withholding that punishment that is deserved, but it is also extending compassionate care for those who are in misery and distress. God's greatest mercy, the greatest mercy he's shown us is to extend salvation to us. Because had he not, then we would have be lost, we'd be lost forever in sin. We would be cast away from his very presence. So his greatest mercy is to show us salvation. And we are commanded to follow his example by being merciful to others. Show mercy to the people around you, the people in your lives. God is gracious. 
This is the granting of undeserved blessings to others. Oh, anybody in here ever received an undeserved blessing? Anybody in here ever received something you did not deserve? That's the graciousness of God. And he shows it and we are to show it. It describes God's disposition and action of love for people in spite of their sinful and undeserving condition. I got it in spite of the fact that I was lost in sin. He still showed me goodness. It is because God is gracious that we can be confident in seeking him out in prayer. We know he's going to accept us anytime we pray, no matter what we've done. When I go to him in prayer, his ears are listening. It is because God is gracious that we can be that confident. Grace is to characterize our lives so well that even our speech is gracious and extends to the people around us. Think about people in your life, who, in your lives, various lives, who have been gracious. Those people who are just kind. I think of Brother Briggs, just a kind man. My grandfather, just a kind human being. Graciousness, just extending graciousness to each other. Next is forgiving. And this means to bear away, pardon, or remove guilt for a wrongdoing. It is the action taken by mercy and grace to remove the barrier that sin has created between us and God. God describes himself as forgiving, and it arises out of that compassion that he has for us and the goodness that he shows for us. And we are to be forgiving of others just as God, just as he has forgiven us. Even to the point that the scriptures tell us that his forgiveness to us will be reflected in the amount of forgiveness we show others. Think about that one for a minute before you rush to judgment on somebody. The amount of forgiveness he's going to show me is going to be reflected in the amount of forgiveness I show to others. In so many ways, this has been a very incomplete overview of God's attributes. So much more could be said about these that I've talked about and many additional ones that I didn't get to. We could even talk about some that we might view as negative. For example, (laughs) jealousy, anger, and wrath. The Bible describes those attributes of God as well. But even those that we think of as negatively result in God's perfect judgment and justice. They're attributes of God and they come back to his perfect justice. Even that is an additional reminder that God is very different from me. If you let me run the world with anger, justice, I mean anger, um, uh, wrath, and, um, and jealousy, it wouldn't end well. But he can and it's still part of his goodness. The reason, the reason that is the case, because it, it, it sounds kind of crazy, Because even when we don't share, or even on the attributes that we do share, we are a poor reflection of him. So even when I show anger, I am a poor reflection of his anger. So when I show love, I'm a poor reflection of his love, but it's the same way with the negative things. And the reason for that is he is marked by holiness and we are marked by sin. God is an infinite being that is incomprehensible to us, his finite creatures. We can only know him to the extent he has chosen to reveal himself himself to us. And here in the last five minutes, 
is where the whole message comes down to. This is the important part of everything I have to say this morning. We must be in awe of him. We must be humble before him to conform our understanding, our will, and our lives to him. He will never conform to us. I wouldn't want him to. In my moments of maturity and when I can think about it straight, I wouldn't want him to be like me. I want him to be like he is. But you will be a frustrated Christian if you try to force your conception of God onto him. We do a lot of bargaining, don't we? We do bargaining and schmoozing. Like if my kids, I'll tell my kids this all the time. If you get good grades, you know, you'll get, um, I'll give you a $5 bill for every A you get. Or if you behave yourself, we'll go get a Happy Meal. Those are the kind of things we do. My wife will make me a special cake. She's buttering me up. She wants something. (laughs) Or I cook a meal. Maybe I want something. But it's not like that with God. It's not like that with God. You'll be frustrated because you'll think you can guilt him into something because you did something for him. Or maybe you'll argue with him and convince him because you can do that with, we can do that with each other. Or maybe we'll think we can bargain with him and get him to do something. It doesn't work that way. If I try to base how he should treat me or what result I should get based on my human emotion, I will be disappointed. I'll think God has ignored me. I'll think God was heartless. I'll think he was unfair. Because my situation didn't play out like a human being mind figured it should have played out. But what really God was doing was he was just being true to those attributes of himself that are so different from us. If you try to conform God to your own thinking, then you create for yourself something that is false. Worship and serve Him on His terms. I don't have to understand everything He does. Even when bad things happen in my life, and I can see, oh, that would have worked. If He had done that, that would have solved the whole problem. That's not his ways. He's so far above me. He knows the end from the beginning. I don't. But he does. But I try to shove him in this box that I've made. Here, this is, this is the way it's supposed to work out, God. You do it this way. That's my, my solution. And that's the solution I want. And I'm completely blind to the fact that he's like, I've got this worked out 500 years down the road. I've been, I've been arranging things for a thousand years to get you to this point, Chris. How dare you tell me what to do? It's hard. This is, the, this is the adult Sunday school class. This is the mature class. But this is what we have to get to. That's the place we have to get to. Worship and serve Him on His terms. He is omniscient. I'm not. He is omnipresent. I'm not. 
He is sovereign and immutable. I am not. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when you consider all that God is, all of those things we've talked about this morning, all of those attributes, all of them, even the ones that we can emulate, we still only emulate through a glass darkly. Our love still ain't like his love. But all of the things we've talked about this morning, I can't help but respond with humility. I can't help but want to get on my knees and say, God, I know I'm not like you, but I want your will and I want your way and I trust, I trust you. It should be easy at that point. Once we get there, it should be easy at that point to begin to pray for his will. Really pray for his will. Not that thing where we ask for what we want and sort of presume that it's his will. But looking up at who he is. Being humbled by what we see. And trusting. Trusting that he's going to work it out. He loves you. Even his love for us we can't understand. Your spouse can make you mad. Your children can make you mad. You may not like them for a day or two. You love them, but you don't like them. God ain't like that. And that's the person we're throwing ourselves into his hands. He loves us more than we can ever imagine. And when we look up and we see who he is, I'm humbled. I trust and I follow in Jesus' name.